you would please open your Bibles to Matthew chapter 9. Matthew chapter 9. Some of you grew up uh, watching the TV show Mission Impossible, the late 60s, the early 70s. Um, many others of you who are maybe not as well advanced in years um, are more familiar with the movies starring Tom Cruise. But regardless of which era you were introduced to this uh, show, at the beginning of each show, you know that the main agent of the impossible mission force, whether that be Jim Phelps or Ethan Hunt, receives an invitation to engage in a mission. The invitation begins with a recording, either a tape recording, the version of the 60s, or some high-powered thing like Tom Cruise's sunglasses and the more recent ones. The recording says the same, though, either way. This is your mission, should you choose to accept it. Then it goes on to give instructions about a highly dangerous covert mission, usually involving hostile governments or some crime lord. Then at the end of each recording, it says this, Should you or any of your IM force be caught or killed, the secretary will disavow any knowledge of your actions. This message will self-destruct in five seconds. This morning, as we return to the Gospel of Matthew, we find Jesus giving the twelve apostles instructions for a very important mission as well. A very dangerous mission as well, should they choose to accept it. But there are a number of major differences between their mission and the various missions that were given to the impossible mission force in Mission Impossible. For one, it's not a covert mission at all. It is very public. It's also not an impossible mission. It is full of power. And it is not a mission where the authorities disavow any knowledge of what is going on and refuse to help living their lives behind the scenes. This passage is too long for us to cover in its entirety, but I'd like to read the entire passage because I feel that even just in the reading, it will be somewhat instructive, but then I will not comment on all that is here. So would you please stand for the reading of God's Word? <clears throat> Beginning at the end of chapter 9, 9.35, and going through chapter 11, verse 1. And Jesus went throughout all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. And he called to him his twelve disciples and gave them authority over unclean spirits to cast them out 
and to heal every disease and every affliction. The names of the twelve apostles are these. First Simon, who is called Peter, and Andrew his brother. James, the son of Zebedee, and John his brother. Philip and Bartholomew, Thomas and Matthew the tax collector. James, the son of Alphaeus and Thaddeus. Simon, the Cananean, and Judas Iscariot, who betrayed him. These twelve Jesus sent out, instructing them, Go nowhere among the Gentiles, and enter no town of the Samaritans, but go rather to the lost sheep of the house of Israel, and proclaim as you go, saying, The kingdom of heaven is at hand. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse lepers, cast out demons. You received without paying, give without pay. Acquire no gold, nor silver, nor copper for your belts, no bag for your journey, nor two tunics, nor sandals, nor staff, for the laborer deserves his food. In whatever town or village you enter, find out who is worthy in it and stay there until you depart. As you enter the house, greet it. And if the house is worthy, let your peace come upon it. But if it is not worthy, let your peace return to you. If anyone will not receive you or listen to your words, shake off the dust from your feet when you leave that house or town. Truly I say to you, it will be more bearable on the day of judgment for the land of Sodom and Gomorrah than for that town. Behold, I am sending you out as sheep in the midst of wolves. So be wise as serpents and innocent as doves. Beware of men. For they will deliver you over to courts and flog you in their synagogues, and you will be dragged before governors and kings for my sake to bear witness before them and the Gentiles. When they deliver you over, do not be anxious how you are to speak or what you are to say, for what you are to say will be given to you in that hour. For it is not you who speak, but the Spirit of your Father speaking through you. Brother will deliver brother over to death, and father his child, and children will rise against parents and have them put to death. And you will be hated by all for my name's sake. But the one who endures to the end will be saved. When they persecute you in one town, flee to the next. For truly I say to you, you will not have gone through all the towns of Israel before the Son of Man comes. A disciple is not above his teacher, nor a servant above his master. It is enough for a disciple to be like his teacher and the servant like his master. If they have called the master of the house Beelzebul, how much more will they malign those of his household? So, have no fear of them. For nothing is covered that will not be revealed or hidden that will not be known. What I tell you in the dark, say in the light, and what you hear whispered, proclaim on the housetops. And do not fear those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Rather, Fear him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. Are not two sparrows sold for a penny? And not one of them will fall to the ground apart from your father. But even the hairs of your head are all numbered. Fear not, therefore. You are of more value than many sparrows. So everyone who acknowledges me before men, I also will acknowledge before my father who is in heaven. But whoever denies me before men, I will also deny before my Father who is in heaven. Do not think that I have come to bring peace on the earth. I have not come to bring peace, but a sword. I have come to set a man against his father, and a daughter against her mother, and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. 
and a person's enemies will be those of his own household. Whoever loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever loves a son or a daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever does not take his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Whoever finds his life will lose it, and whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. Whoever receives you receives me, and whoever receives me receives him who sent me. The one who receives a prophet because he is a prophet will receive a prophet's reward. And the one who receives a righteous person because he is a righteous person will receive a righteous person's reward. And whoever gives one of these little ones even a cold cup of water because he is a disciple, truly I say to you, he will by no means lose his reward. When Jesus had finished instructing his twelve disciples, he went on from there to teach and preach in their cities. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. I've tried to synthesize the teaching in this passage and boil it down here to five mission instructions, five lessons that are critical for us if we are going to carry out the mission that Christ has given to the church. First, it's a very important mission. In verse 36, we read that when Jesus saw the crowds, he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless, like sheep without a shepherd. The religious leaders of Jesus' day, the scribes and the Pharisees that we've read about in chapters 8 and 9, they were keeping people from the kingdom of heaven, mainly by their rejection of the king from heaven, Jesus himself. And so, as Jesus looks at the landscape, of what's going on with the people of Israel under their care. He says they are like sheep without a shepherd. And he is driven to compassion. This is a foundational motivation for mission. We too must be driven by compassion for the lost. What does Jesus do in response to this compassion? He says the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. So another reason the mission is important. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Jesus knows that he has come to save his people from their sins. Many people, the fields are ripe for the harvest, but the laborers are few. So he asks his disciples to pray. This is the primary or initial means of all mission. It is to get down on our knees and pray earnestly. But it's interesting that what follows is Jesus giving them very clearly the answer to the prayers that they will pray. They are the initial answer to the prayer. He calls his 12 disciples and sends them out on mission. Initially, in the mission that we see in verses 5 to 15, he only sends out the 12 and only to the lost sheep of Israel. 
this initial mission wasn't a mission for everyone, and it wasn't for the Gentiles or the Samaritans. But as his instructions continue, especially when we get to verses 17 and following, and as we trace the rest of the Gospel of Matthew, especially at the very end of the Gospel, we see that this initial mission of the twelve would one day expand. And that leads me to the second instruction for mission. It is a mission for the church to all peoples. Not a covert mission for a special select task group to simply one nation. Now, there are instructions in verses 5 to 15 that only apply to the apostles. The apostles, by the way, we are not them. There are things that they do that are patterns for us, but they hold a very special place in the history of redemption. Like I said earlier, they were called only to go to the lost sheep of Israel initially. But later, we see that they're also going to bear witness before Gentiles. And as we see in the Great Commission in Matthew 28, eventually the church is called to go to all ethne, to all people groups, to all nations, not just to Israel. The other thing that was unique for the apostles were they were called to proclaim the gospel, the kingdom of heaven, and to heal the sick, to raise the dead, to cleanse lepers, and to cast out demons. And as we see their mission continue, not just here in chapter 10, but in the book of Acts as well, we see that they're doing these types of things, right and left. But the mission given to the church, I think, is different. We don't see, for example, in the Great Commission, a command to heal and to raise the dead. Now, I don't want to dismiss the fact that throughout the history of the church, people have been involved as the mission has gone forth in healing, casting out demons, even raising the dead. But these things are not normative in the mission, and they are certainly not integral to the mission. Proclamation, however, is integral, and it has a continuing relevance central to us in our mission. The mission to proclaim the gospel to all people groups. The third lesson we learn about mission is it is a mission with power and authority or authoritative power, however you like to put it. One of the things we learned repeatedly in Matthew chapters 5 to 9 in Jesus' ministry is that his ministry was marked with great power and authority. His teaching had authority. His healing has authority. He has authority over demons. He has authority over death itself. Now as we turn to Matthew 10, we learn about the ministry of his disciples, and it too is a ministry full of power and authority. It's very interesting. I don't want you to miss this because Matthew intends for us to see it. The things that Jesus calls his disciples to do are the exact things that Jesus has been recorded doing 
previous to that. Preaching, healing, etc. He gives them authority. Have you ever been given a responsibility but not then given the authority to carry it out? And you've got all kinds of red tape and roadblocks, but and then you're being criticized for not getting the results that you've been asked to get. It's horribly frustrating. But Jesus doesn't do that. He gives a great responsibility, but then He also gives the authority and the power to carry that responsibility out. So since the mission is authorized by Jesus, empowered by Jesus, guess what? It's not impossible. In fact, we know that the mission will succeed. Jesus will save a people for Himself from among every tribe, tongue, and nation. It will be accomplished. I just read yesterday in my Bible reading a description of this sure reality in Revelation chapter 7. After I looked, behold, a great multitude, this is the vision in Revelation 7, that no one could number from every nation, from all tribes and people and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands and crying out with a loud voice, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. The mission is quite possible because it is authorized and empowered by Christ Himself. Another reason we know the mission has authority is found at the end of chapter 10, explicitly. This truth is seen throughout the passage, really. But in verse 40, we read explicitly, Whoever receives you receives me. And whoever receives me receives him who sent me. There is a remarkable principle in this passage. Not only is our ministry linked to Jesus' ministry, not only is our mission an extension of Jesus' mission, we're also told here that the way people respond to our ministry, the way people respond to our message in the gospel is the way they respond to God Himself. Is the way that they respond to Jesus. If they receive us and our gospel, they are receiving Jesus. And therefore, God will receive them. That's why Jesus told His disciples, it's a little confusing, but to not take money or to seek money on their journey, the basic point of that whole part of the passage is He wanted the people that they went to with the Gospel, went to with their ministry, to receive them into their homes. Their reception of those ministers on mission would be indication that they had received the message that they were bringing and receiving the King from heaven. But if they rejected the disciples or did not let them in, it would be an indication that they had rejected the Gospel and had rejected Jesus. Listen again to verses 14 and 15. If anyone will not receive you 
or listen to your words. Shake the dust off from your feet and leave that house or town. Truly I say to you, it will be more bearable on the day of judgment for the land of Sodom and Gomorrah than for that town. Their rejection of the disciples and their message was a rejection of Jesus and therefore God would reject and judge them. Just let that sink in for a minute. Do you see what an amazing privilege we have in the mission that Christ has given to the church? But do you also see the amazing heavy responsibility that we are given in the mission. We have the very authority of God to take the gospel to the nations. And how they respond to those on mission is how they respond to Jesus. Quite humbling and quite exciting. But even though our mission is full of power and authority, the Larsons would be the first to tell you that it's not all peaches and cream in the Middle East or in whatever other place that the gospel is going forth. And that leads me to the fourth instruction about our mission. It is a perilous mission. A dangerous mission. Jesus is no salesman that is hiding the fine print. He is walking through the fine print line by line with those that He is sending out on mission. He lists two broad dangers in His instructions. One is persecution. The other is division. The persecution is both internal and external. For example... The twelve would be handed over and flogged in the synagogue. So the Jews, internal, would hand them over, deliver them up. But then they would deliver them to the Gentiles, an external group of people who would try them and sentence them and maybe even put them to death. We read later that their family members, an internal group, would deliver them over. But then that all people would hate them. They would face persecution. But it's important to note that two times we're told that this persecution is not just because they don't like Christians. They're saying no to the Christians who are going forth because they are saying no to Jesus. They hate them because they hate Jesus. The suffering is for the sake of His name. Jesus, like I said, is giving full disclosure here. This is your mission, should you choose to accept it. And that mission will certainly include opposition, rejection, slander, and possibly even being harmed physically or even killed. But His disciples shouldn't be surprised by this and we shouldn't be surprised by it either. It's one thing to say, our ministry is an extension of Jesus' ministry. Our authority is an extension of Jesus' authority. But if we're going to do the ministry that Jesus did, we're also going to suffer like Jesus did. Look at verse 24. 
A disciple is not above his teacher, nor a servant above his master. It is enough for the disciple to be like his teacher and the servant like his master. If they have called the master of the house Beelzebul, the prince of demons, how much more will they malign those of his household? No surprise. But the persecution isn't the worst of it. The worst is the division caused by the gospel. This is highlighted in verse 35. This message, the gospel, that brings peace between God and man also results sometimes in causing division between people. It says this, Do not think that I have come to bring peace on earth. I have not come to bring peace, but a sword. The gospel will sometimes cause division even within our closest relationships in our own family. Jesus is not saying that we should delight when the gospel brings brokenness in our relationships or that we shouldn't want there to be peace and to strive to seek peace. We learned that from the story of Joseph. However, the reality is the gospel is offensive to some people. They don't want to be told that we are all sinners who stand under the judgment of God. They don't want to be told that the only way to be saved from our sins and the judgment of God is through the atoning work of Jesus Christ on the cross. And so as they reject this gospel, as they reject Christ, sometimes those same people will reject the ones who come bearing that message. So how should we respond to this fine print of the mission? This danger, this division. It's enough to leave us shaking in our boots. And I think that this is the main problem we face in sharing our faith personally here in Wichita and evangelism. It's one of the main things that we face as we think about going into the field of harvest, the mission field. We're scared. Let's just be honest. That's why you don't bear witness for Christ. You're scared. Maybe not scared that someone will kill you, but certainly scared of what they might think of you. Afraid that you might lose your reputation. Afraid that you might lose that relationship. Isn't that the main thing that holds you back? But thankfully, Jesus is not done giving instructions for the mission. He has one final point to make, a point that addresses our fears. And I'm so thankful for it. It is this. Our mission is a mission with provision and a prize. Jesus knew the peril of the mission would cause His disciples fear. And so in verses 26 to 31, which is central to this discourse, He tells them repeatedly, three times, to not fear. 
He's basically giving them three reasons that they don't have to be afraid. I'm going to deal with them in reverse order, beginning in verses 29 to 31. The first reason to not fear is because God will provide for us. He returns here in, to a lesson that we learned on the Sermon on the Mount, that if God provides for the birds of the air, then surely He will provide for His people on mission. Jesus says in the Great Commission, I will be with you to the end of the age. We read here that as you're hauled before governors and put on trial, that the Holy Spirit Himself will give you the words to say, God will provide. But that doesn't mean that God will necessarily provide physical protection. History tells us that 10 of the 12 apostles sent out here were martyred for their witness. But God will provide ultimate protection. And this is seen in the central reason to not fear. In verse 28, it says, Do not fear those who can kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Rather fear Him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. We see something similar in verse 22. Jesus says, But the one who endures to the end will be saved. Or verse 32. He says, Everyone who acknowledges Me before men, I also will acknowledge before My Father who is in heaven. But whoever denies Me before men, I also will deny before My Father who is in heaven. The message is similar in each case. There is a great risk in the mission given to the church. If you don't feel the risk, you're probably not on mission. There is great risk, but the reward is greater. You may be rejected by men, but you will be accepted by God. You may be worn out in the labor of the race, but you will continue and live forever. You may even be killed, although that is not likely for many of us in this room. But did you know that you will be raised from the dead if you endure to the end? If your goal in life is to be comfortable, to be wealthy, if your goal in life is to have everything planned out, neat and tidy, if your goal is to be the most popular kid in your high school, if your goal is to seek pleasure, the Christian life is not for you. This mission is not for you. But here's the sobering reality. Neither is eternal life for you. But if you are willing to go the way that Jesus went, even though that will certainly involve suffering, you'll gain more than you ever give up. You know the line from the missionary Jim Elliott, He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. Or, to quote Jesus in verses 38-39, to 39, whoever does not take his cross, die to himself, and follow me in my way, 
He is not worthy of me. What that means is he does not receive me. Whoever finds his life will lose it. And whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. We need to count the cost of discipleship. We need to see the real peril in mission. But when we do the math, it all adds up. We gain more than we lose. The prize is more than the pain. The mission is worth it. I want to close with the last reason to not be afraid to take risks for the Gospel. Not only is it worth it for us, it is necessary for those who are lost. Look at verse 26. So have no fear of them, for nothing is covered that will not be revealed or hidden that will not be known. What I tell you in the dark, say in the light. And what you hear whispered, proclaim on the housetops. Jesus is basically saying, don't be afraid For the gospel will prevail. The gospel will get out. People will come to Jesus. So proclaim it on the housetops. In fact, he's saying that's the only way the gospel will get out. The church on mission. The church taking the gospel to the nations. That is God's plan A and He doesn't have a backup plan. There is no plan B. This is the mission that Christ gave to His first disciples. But His instructions to them did not self-destruct in five seconds. They were written down by Matthew for our instruction. They are now instructive for our mission should we choose to accept it. What will you choose? I pray that you get the weight of the mission, the importance of the mission to go to all peoples with the Gospel because without that, they remain lost. This should be your motivation in the mission. I pray that as you're reminded of the promises in the mission, the promise of power, the promise of a prize that is greater than the pain, that you will be strengthened to get out there on the housetops and proclaim the Gospel. But not only that, to also be involved in sending out our missionaries who are proclaiming this on the housetops in the most difficult places and where the need is the greatest. Would you pray with me? Father, I pray that You would enable that which You require. But I also pray that our motivation for what You have called the church to do would not be a motivation based off of guilt, which is so often what is felt when we talk about evangelism and missions, but we would be motivated by compassion for the lost, motivated by the strong promises that are found in Your Word, and propelled by the power of the Holy Spirit who goes with us. 
May your name be glorified among the nations. Through Jesus Christ we pray. Amen.